In our world, in this day and age, and it's always been this way, but particularly right now, in this world, there are a lot of voices begging for us to hear. I mean, you, you know, just think about your day probably yesterday of uh, Twitter and Facebook and all of the various things you youngsters are into these days, right? And you oldsters. There are voices, there are sounds, there are, there's information that is being funneled to us. Podcasts, books on audio, 24-hour news cycle. There is just a constant barrage of voices that are not only coming at us, but are alluring us. To hear them in a way that these voices become our reality. And it's constant. And I think the goal of many of these voices is to shape us into into who they want us to be. So that we develop a filter. So that when we intake things from the world, that things are filtered through these voices. So that we believe in a certain way. So that we hear in a certain way. So that we see in a certain way. You see, because not all of these voices are external. If we're really honest, we also have to acknowledge that there are internal voices. Now, this is not going to be a diagnosis to see if you have schizophrenia this morning. Every one of us hears voices. There are internal voices that are going on inside of us. And many times, these voices as well are barraging us with messages that we shouldn't be listening to. This self-talk that are telling us who we are, how we're supposed to interpret the world in ways that are ungodly. And if you don't think that there are a lot of voices that are influencing you, all I have to do is mention one word and all of a sudden all of this will boil up inside of you this morning. The one word that all I have to mention is masks. And immediately, there are things you've heard, there's information you've heard, there's TV shows, there's all kinds of things that you've heard, and then internally, there's all this stuff going on too. And if we had an open forum, there would be messages and things going forward, and that's going to happen in Gary's office after the service. Think about this. Jesus Christ is the Son of God. In John chapter 15, Jesus tells us that He only does what His Father does. So that He and the Father are one. They are always acting in unison. There's not one that acts one way and one that acts the other. They're, they're, they're one. And understand this. Understand this. In a world that is full of competing voices. Jesus comes to us in this word and notice what he tells us in verse 3. Listen to this. Listen to this. Please get this. I want the weight of this to just fall on us. The sovereign king of the universe is speaking to us and He is telling us, listen 
to this. He has a message for us. And unfortunately, unfortunately, I think instead of listening to God and listening to His Word, that we even listen to the sovereign co-creator of the universe's message through a filter and a lens in which we've created. And Jesus this morning, as He is teaching, He is jealous that we break that filter and we listen to Him. That we hear His words. As we are in this chapter, we are moving to Jesus' teaching. And and in this section, Jesus is teaching in parables. And it is very easy to understand what the point of these parables is. And it is is that Jesus wants you to listen. I've already said in verse 3, He says, listen to this. In verse 9, and He was saying, He who has ears, what? Let him hear. Listen to this. Hear this word. Again in verse 20. And those are the ones whom the seed was sown on the good soil. Notice the good soil. The good soil. They hear the word and accept it. And when they hear the word and accept it, they bear fruit. In verse 23. Again, if anyone has ears, Let him hear. And in verse 24, he was saying to them, Take care what you listen to. By the standard of measure, it will be measured to you, and more will be given you besides. Hearing the words of Christ is more, and I I confessed earlier, and I probably should have looked this up, I don't know how our ears work, but I'm assuming Air and waves move in there, and then the brain translates that in some way. And when Jesus is talking about hearing, He is talking about more than that simple process of hearing. He is talking about hearing in such a way that we see and we understand the truth. Because Jesus came to proclaim a message. You remember in the first chapter... Verse 14, it said that Jesus came to proclaim the gospel of God. And we know that word gospel, ungelion. It means means good news. And this word was known. It was known in this day and age because oftentimes kings would send people ahead and they would declare good news from the king. And the good news that Jesus has come to proclaim is that God has made a way for us sinners to be reconciled to God. And this is the greatest news. And the kingdom of God has come to earth in Jesus Christ and that you and I can be partakers of that kingdom. There is no greater news. And Jesus is coming and saying, hear this news. And... Thankfully, he doesn't stop there. He doesn't just proclaim the good news of the gospel and that the kingdom of come has come, but God in his sovereignty through Christ lays out and unfolds to us and we have it in written words. But here it was Jesus as he was going to his listeners. He was unfolding things about the kingdom, what the kingdom of God will be like, what it won't be like, what our future will will be like, what the present is like, and how we are to act. And what I want to ask you this morning, 
what I want us to be asking ourselves is that what is your source of spiritual reality? What is your source of spiritual reality? And think about the contrast. Is it some philosopher, some wise theologian, some really great news anchor on TV, or the other option, the sovereign co-creator of the universe? See, today, today, as we get into the parables, Jesus is confronting uh, a people who are having trouble hearing. And what's interesting is that Jesus, as he begins to speak in parables, and we're not going to get into the parable of the sower today, but as he is looking at and as he is beginning to teach these parables, um, he sees that there are people and they're having problems hearing. And it wasn't because he spoke in parables, per se. Parables were a very common literary tool used to communicate a message. And it's always been this way. Parables have been used since the beginning of time. The word parable itself means to lay alongside something. So it's like a story laid alongside something that communicates a, a truth that's designed to... Um, to hit us in a certain way. And I'll give you an example that I think probably you all know. Life is like a box of chocolates. What? You never know what you're going to get, right? Parable. <laughs> and parables have been around probably forever. I think God wired us in such a way that story and parables and metaphors um, would speak to us in, in, in deep and meaningful ways. One of the, the Old Testament is chalked full of parables. And one of the most famous parables in the Old Testament, and is a great example, is that when Nathan was confronting David about his sin. Do you remember this parable? The Lord said to, sent Nathan to David and he came to him and said, there were two men in one city, the one rich and the other poor. The rich man had great many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing except one little lamb, which he brought which he bought and nourished. And this lamb, it, it grew up together with him and his children. It would eat of his bread and drink of his cup and lie in his bosom. It was like a daughter to him. And now a rich traveler came to the rich man and he was unwilling to take from his own flock or his own herd to prepare for the wayfarer who had come to him. Rather, he took the poor man's lamb and prepared it for the rich man who had come. So David hears this story about taking this poor man's lamb, and he is furious. His anger burned greatly against the man. And he said to Nathan, As the Lord lives, surely the man who has done this deserves to die. He must make restitution for the lamb fourfold, because he did this thing and had no compassion. And then Nathan says to David, what? You're the man. Nathan lays down a story beside a truth to break through the defenses of David to communicate truth in his life. And we know this. If you have been in church for any amount of time, if, if this was just a Sunday school class, I would ask you, what comes to your mind when I say the word prodigal son? And you would share with me, oh yeah, the prodigal son. Or the good Samaritan. Oh yeah, the good Samaritan. Here's what this parable 
is being used to communicate. Now, what is interesting in this text, what is interesting in this text is that Jesus is telling us that in this instance, in this text, in this situation, and it is shocking, I think, that Jesus is telling us here that he is using parables to divide, to create division. You see, some parables that Jesus tells are meant to to draw people in and to see a reality. But others, others, in other times, Jesus is speaking in ways where the parables are not understood by some people. And He is intentionally speaking in this way to point out the division. That He is not communicating truth to certain people. And Mark tells us plainly in this text, you can't read this text objectively and not see that this is what Mark is getting at. This is what Jesus is getting at. Look, for example, in verse 1, that Jesus here, he began to teach again by the sea, and such a very large crowd gathered to him, he got into a boat in the sea and sat down, and the whole crowd was by the sea and on the land. Now, you remember a couple of weeks ago when we were talking about that the crowds came from everywhere to see Jesus, and we talked about the great multitudes of people. And remember, they were coming and they wanted to touch Jesus, and they made a provision because the crowds were so great that they were like, oh, okay, these crowds are coming and they're pushing forward, so we got to have this boat just in case Jesus gets into some trouble of proximity here, and he's going to go off onto the sea so that he can teach and preach because the crowds are so great. This is, this is happening. The crowds are great. So notice this. The crowds are great. And then as he, after he tells this parable, look at what happens. As soon as he was alone, Mark tells us, his followers, along with the twelve, began asking him about these parables. There's a division in the group. The great number of crowds are not there asking Jesus about these parables. There's this smaller group that is there and they're asking him about the parables. Again, in verse 33 and 34. With many such parables, he was speaking the word to them so far as they were able to hear it. Notice again, Mark is pointing this out. He did not speak to them without a parable, but he was explaining everything privately to his own disciples he was not speaking to the masses and and, and and telling them what these parables were about he was doing that privately and so then when we look at verse 11 we get the clear picture of what's going on here and the division and so they began asking him about the parables in verse 11 he says this and he was saying to them to you it has been given the mystery of the kingdom of god but to those who are outside get everything in parables. Shocking. What in the world is going on here? We see that there is a clear division and that Jesus is intentionally only explaining the parables to a small group. He is leaving people out. And so to begin to understand what in the world was going on here, one of the questions I I need to ask you is this. 
did Jesus, up until this point, only teach and preach in parables? No. Jesus came, did miracles, forgave sins, cast out demons, proclaimed the gospel clearly. I am here. He taught clearly who he was. And the issue of what was going on is that he has plainly been teaching them. A lot of scholars believe at this point for over a year, over and over and over preaching to these crowds, And there are not many converts. There are not many true followers of Jesus as we see that there are a small group afterwards that are meeting with him. So what we see here, the issue is that they have rejected him and they have rejected his message. So at this point, Jesus is moving and his teaching is going to a specific group. Now, I want to ask you this question. About once a year, Up here on Single Mountain, we all get the message from the police. And if you're new to the area, you'll get this message at some point. The message is this. Hey, listen, you need to lock your cars because people are coming up and going through cars and stealing things. For some reason up here, they don't bash in windows. They just have to look for open cars because there are so many open cars and the police are saying, hey, lock your cars so people don't get in them. So you have heard this message, right, if you live up here, right? How many of you lock your cars? Don't raise your hand. Why would you not lock your car? I'm not judging. I'm just simply pointing out the fact, the reality, that you hear the message, you hear, oh, danger, lock your car. But isn't it the case that you may have a false sense of security, oh, No, it's really safer than what those police think. Or they really don't know my neighborhood. You get lured to sleep with this false sense of security. And so you say, oh, no, not me. Or, so I think that's kind of one group of people that's here. And there are also the scribes and the Pharisees who we have seen over and over again Instead of like the crowd, instead of them responding to Jesus, they think they're okay. They think all they need is a a physical healing. Then you have people like the scribes and the Pharisees who are only there in the crowd because they're so angry and disgusted with Jesus. And we've learned uh, through the past couple of weeks that they claim that he had a demon. And so when they're hearing, they're not hearing. They're not understanding who Jesus was. Uh, You know, it's, it's like... Let's say a member of Congress on one side or the other comes up with the best economic plan for the next four years. That it is rock solid. He gets some kind of insider information, divine revelation from God that this is the best economic plan for America. Will the other side listen? Would the other side be like, oh man, that is a great plan. Do, do any of, are, are any of us... So foolish to think that in 2021 that there can be any economic resolution in Congress that is a hundred votes to zero. Why not? Because the worldview, how they view each other is so bad. And the reality is that the scribes and the Pharisees, anything that Jesus does, no matter what proof, no matter what he lays out, they 
look at it and say there is no way that that could be the reality. The reality is if there was true heart change, they would hear. If there was true heart change, they would desire. If there was true heart change, if there was something going on in these folks' lives and they didn't understand the parable, they would be like this other group. They would be going to Jesus and say, I've got to understand this. I know you have the words of life. So what in the world is going on? What in the world is going on? Look at verse 11 again. And he was saying to them, to you it has been given the mystery of the kingdom of God. But to those who are outside, everything is in parables. So the people who can hear this word that Jesus is laying out are the people who have been given the mystery of the kingdom of God. When we think of mystery here, this is not like a Nancy Drew book. I just dated myself. Uh, uh, some, kind of, uh, some kind of mystery that you've got to figure out with your own intuition. It's a good translation, but it doesn't quite capture what's going on here. When the word here says mystery, it's probably better to think of it like a secret. Like a secret. And it's not something that we've got to figure out. It's a secret that is revealed to us. It is given to us. It's not a puzzle. It's not a riddle. We don't need some sort of enlightenment. All we need is for God to open our eyes and He reveals to us who His Son is. That God in His sovereignty looks and He opens the eyes of man and woman and they see Jesus and when they see this, they see that the mystery of God has been unraveled. And they see Jesus for who He is. And then when we see Jesus for who He is, then Jesus begins speaking and He begins telling us things and the rest of some of the secrets that are not to be yet revealed. Jesus begins speaking those and we hear and we listen and those secrets are revealed to us. Think about Peter. When Jesus asked, Who do they say that I am? And Peter says, Thou art the Christ. What is Peter? What is Jesus say to him, Peter, good job. I left all kinds of clues. You followed him really well and you figured it out. No, what what does Jesus say to him? Flesh and blood did not reveal this to you. This has been revealed to you by God. And so what we see here, what we see is that the people who are on the inside, the insiders, are the ones who God has opened up the eyes of their heart and they have confessed faith in Christ. And so when Jesus, when he speaks in parables, those whose eyes are not open, those who have rejected the gospel, those who are rejecting Christ, those who are unrepentant, those who are not trusting to him, do not desire his divine truth. So hearing, they don't understand. Seeing, they don't see. Other voices in their head, other voices around them are carrying more weight than the sovereign of the universe because they don't see him that way and they completely miss it. Now, does anybody know why yesterday was such a big day? Derby day. 
And I have some Louisvilleites in here. I don't know how many people have been in around Louisville. I lived in Louisville for a little while. The Wittens are from Louisville, so they can attest to this, that the Derby in Louisville is a big deal. Like for two weeks, it's like, like Derby, Derby days, you know, and you go to get your hair cut and they give you this mint, nasty drink thing. No offense. Big celebration, fireworks, leading up to the Derby Day. And so one of the things is I'd always heard from people who had gone like and seen the horses and how big and massive they were. And just it was amazing to watch those things run. And TV didn't pay it any justice. And, it, and I just thought it would be awesome to go and watch the horses race. And so I started inquiring like, hey, I really want to go watch the Derby. I'm only here for three and a half years. I'd like to go and watch the Derby. And then I realized how much the tickets cost. Poor seminary students, no chance at the Derby. Plus, you'd have to dress up silly, and I'm not into that either. Wear those things around your neck and hats. So then I hear this thing. No, 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 Lewis, I heard people talking. Oh, you can go, and you can go in the infield, the inside of the track. Cheaper tickets. This is the way to go. So I start saying, I got some buddies from seminary. Hey, we're going to do this. We're going to go. We're going to go get in the infield and watch the race. And my buddies are like, yeah, we're not doing that. I was like, why not? It's Kentucky Derby. And they're like, oh, Lewis, you don't understand. And then what they informed me was, number one, the infield of the Kentucky Derby is a lot like Mardi Gras. No place for seminary students unless we're witnessing. The other thing they said is this. Guess what you see when you're in the infield? Mardi Gras. Guess what you don't see? Horse race. So what happens here? What happens is that you can be at this race where you're wanting to see the majesty. You're wanting to see the pageantry. You're wanting to see what's going on. And you can be there. You can be right next to it. You can be so close you can smell it. But you don't see When Jesus is in the boat and he's teaching, they're there, but they don't see. They don't see. They don't understand. They don't see the reality of the situation because they're not in the position to truly see. So as Jesus is speaking here, and as Jesus is saying, that he is going to be speaking in parables and that one of the reasons he's speaking in parables is one, so that people will understand, but for the outsiders, so that they won't understand or that, that it's, you know, he's not giving the secrets of the kingdom, unveil, unveiling those to those who aren't believers. Does this mean that Jesus is cruel? Does this mean that Jesus is hateful? Does this mean that there are people who want to come and want to hear and Jesus has given them the holy stiff arm and saying, no, no. The reality is, as we look at this word, that we see that one of the things about Jesus speaking in parables is that it is an act of judgment that these people have brought on themselves. That if we take this quote that Jesus quotes here, it's from the book of Isaiah chapter 6. That's the chapter where 
all these things are being laid out and God is pronouncing judgment. He's saying, I have this message that needs to go to these hard hearted people that have not understood and they have not turned and they're not following me. And I need a messenger. And Isaiah signs up for the best preaching gig ever. And you remember what God tells him? Yeah, you go and preach. And how many people are going to listen? See, if they wanted Christ, if they wanted to hear, then like we read in verse 28 of chapter 3, that he would forgive them of all sins, all blasphemies. But they didn't want it. And so here, as Jesus, in this instance, is talking about the kingdom, he's talking about the way that the insiders are needing to live, as he's talking about what the insiders what the kingdom is like and how we are to live and how they are to gain knowledge. He is speaking just to them. And notice, notice when these folks hear this message and they don't understand, they come to him. They come to him and they want explanation. You know, one of the things about this that just thrills my soul and I hope that this is, resembles you and I is that Isn't it great that we see this in the Bible of Jesus is teaching and Jesus lays out a teaching. And I don't know about you, but it gives me comfort to know that people sitting and hearing Jesus teaching, sometimes they don't understand. And so they go to him. They ask him questions. They want to hear. They want to understand. They're hanging on his words. They're taking seriously this call to listen. And they're saying, okay, I'm trying to listen, but I don't understand. And this is the way that our spiritual life is, is as well. Just to ask you a couple of questions. When you first believe in the gospel message, you had to know something about grace, right? There's no way to believe the gospel message without grace. Let me ask this. If you've been walking with the Lord for any amount of time, has your knowledge of grace grown. Through reading this word, through looking and gazing at Jesus and his works, if it hasn't grown, then I'm wondering about the seed in your life because we hear this understanding of grace and then as we live life in the kingdom following the Lord and we mess up and we blow it, our understanding of grace grows deeper. What about the idea of faith? I think when I first believed, I I thought faith was just like saying yes to Jesus. (laughs) And as a young child, had no idea what a life following Jesus really entailed. As I'm getting older, I start to understand what that means more and more. Forgiveness. We could go through all of these of these things in in our Christian life, and we see how God grows us into them. But the only way, the way that God grows us is by coming to us, coming to him and us coming to his word. And when we do that, we grow. And, And here's a phrase that just echoed in my mind over and over as I've been looking and thinking about this section of the scripture. Is it, do you want to be a confident Christian? I don't think anybody would say, hey, I want to be an unconfident Christian. <laughs> That's miserable. Do you want to be a confident Christian? 
A confident Christian is somebody who has a humble dependence upon the word of God. Who has a humble dependency on the word of God. Like these men and women who hear this word and they so want to know it that they go to him and say, we don't understand. You see, the soil, the soil that is humble and receives the word is the soil that grows much fruit because we're letting the word sink down and do things in us to grow us. Those who have this truth of who Christ is has not been revealed to them. Why in the world would they care how Christ wants them to live? Can you imagine hearing the teachings of Christ on things like suffering if you really didn't believe that Jesus was who he said he was? Would anybody be so crazy to say, oh, sign me up for that? Now, one of the things I don't want us to miss, I don't want us to miss because it's embedded in this story as well, because I, I want you to understand that there are two groups of people and, and that there is the division here. But notice the whole point of the parable of the sower is that we, you, me, are to go and spread the gospel. That's the point of the parable, right? And so any notion that Jesus doesn't want us to spread the gospel or to spread the good news and doesn't want people to come to him out of this text is wrong. That's our job to go and do. But it is interesting and we do need to understand what Christ is doing here. And that we, those who have professed faith in Christ, need to hang on the words of God. And I think there is a word of warning here for those of us who are on the inside. Look at verse 24 and 25. And he was saying to them, take care what you listen to. By your standard of measure, it will be measured to you and more will be given you besides. For whoever has to him, more shall be given and whoever does not have even what he has shall be taken away. And so we need to ask the question. We need to hear the warning. What are we listening to? I have used this example quite a bit, and so I am repeating it probably for the 30th time. And I'm sorry, but it's just one of the best examples that that I can think of when it comes to something like this. In my 20 years of, of doing counseling, you know, full time before I came here, one of the things that came in my office several times, I don't want to say many times, but several times, uh, one time in particular just is reigns forward in my mind of a man that came to me and it was the first session and he said, so you're a Christian counselor? Yes, good, I wanted to talk to a Christian counselor. Great, we talked about all that. And then he said, okay, here's what I'm going through. So I'm praying to see whether or not I should have an affair. Okay. And so I said, and so I said, I'm a pastor and uh, God has spoken to me. And this was kind of a mean for me to say, but it's true. I said, God has spoken to me. He said, great. And I think he was amazed at how quick God's, but you know, because I'm a pastor, I have a direct line. He said, he has. What has he said? And I'm like, you tell me. 
And immediately he was bristling because he didn't want to hear the word of God. What he wanted was me to to tell him something that meshed with his grid and his feelings and his desires and his lusts. And he didn't want to hear the word of God. Believers, we need to heed this warning that we do these things in our own life and we need to be a people who are running quickly to the word of God. Think about this for a minute. Think about this for a minute. When Jesus begins to talk about the kingdom of God and how we are to live, he's commanding us to do things like this. We are to love radically. We are to be a people that love radically. We are to be a people who live a life that is built around displaying to the world by words and deeds the gospel message. We are, we are to be a people that give, that live open-handed, that believe that all that God has given to us is for His glory and for His kingdom. And we are to be a people who are quick to forgive because we have been forgiven. These are not easy messages. And if all we're doing is going by the grid that we've created in our own hearts, in our own lives, we're going to rationalize away the message of the kingdom of God. And God is telling us this morning through His Son Christ, Don't do this. Listen. Listen to this. Hear my word. So the next couple of weeks, we will be studying some of these parables and the question is going to be, will you hear? And I think as we come in here this morning, as believers, that some of you are coming in here this morning and you haven't locked the doors of your car. Some of you have, are coming in here this morning and you have heard the word of the Lord and He is clearly and plainly saying that you are to lock your car. <laughs> but instead of doing what He has asked you to do, instead of loving your neighbor well, instead of sowing seed, you are rationalizing away and you are living in a sense of a false security. You're not living out the gospel that God has called you to. You're not heeding the word. You're rationalizing while you're leaving your car unlocked. And some of us this morning, some of us this morning have been invited at great cost to watch the race To see it in all its glory and its majesty. But you're messing around in the infield. That's not where you're called to be. And God this morning, I think, wants us to hear. Wants us to listen. And wants us to be a people who are quick to repent. And quick to follow. To walk by faith and not by sight. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, your word is calling us to live out our faith in a certain way. And God, I pray that over the next couple of weeks that we will be a people who hear. That we will do away with any notions of cultural Christianity. Or partial Christianity, and that we will become fully devoted followers of your son. Give us ears to hear. It's in your son's name we pray.
Amen.